Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Welcome back to the Hidden History Happy Hour, everyone. And no, you have not accidentally tuned into Between the Ferns. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's hilarious. Uh, I'm Brian Cunningham. As you know, I notice Alex Dean is not here with us at this moment. Who is here is our stellar executive producer, Ivan Williams. First time on camera with us. Cheers, Ivan. And also Good thank morning. you. See, I even had a I had a mug made even that says thank you. Oh, superb. Thanks, and, Brian. And the thank you is, uh, we've talked about this on the show before, but Ivan is our executive producer and one of the big creative forces behind the Hidden History Happy Hour. Uh, and it's great to have him on camera. Why is 2023 Brian Cunningham interrupting 2022 Brian Cunningham, who you're going to see in a minute? Because in the case of this episode that you're about to watch, even though it's the summer of 23, we actually filmed this in the summer of 22. And for very important reasons, we had to hold it, keep it away from you until now and we're very excited and i want ivan to introduce himself and explain what this episode is and why we had to wait for a whole year to put it out ivan well thanks so much brian for having me on the show it's a show that i as you stated executive produce and so being in front of the camera like i am today is a whole new experience but most importantly uh, the whole purpose i am on the show today is to talk about a film called ramona at midlife uh, but before we get into that, uh, why has I been talking about Ramona at Midlife? Well, I'm the executive producer of the film Ramona at Midlife, a film that uh, has just hit the Bentonville Film Festival back in June 14th of this year. So before we get to the announcement of what happened at the film festival, I got in this film business in a really interesting, crazy way. I used to be an oil executive with ARCO and BP and decided to pivot out of that industry into a whole nother interesting industry, and that's called the world of filmmaking, about 10 years ago. So I took off into that world and owned, owned a studio and produced uh, multiple films and now even a podcast, uh, just like today. So Well, so now you we finally go. hit the big time. Now you finally yeah, hit the big time the with big the podcast. Time. You know, instead of yeah. drilling oil, oil wells, I'm kind of tapping into movie theater pocketbooks. So. <clears throat> <laughs> right. So tell us about Ramona at Midlife and how you got into it. Ramona at Midlife was a story that came to me from uh, a, a talent agent in New York City. She brought it to me as saying, Ivan, I think this is a story that has never been told, a story about a middle-aged woman that's struggling with her life of namely what she thought her life was going to turn out being when she was in her 20s, a New York literary it girl. And now she finds herself as a mid midlife single mom and wondering what the heck happened to her amazing literary career. So when I was shared the story, I thought, well, you know, number one, Hollywood normally doesn't tap in and focus on middle-aged single moms. And so you go, well, why not? You know, why shouldn't we? And so I'm in the space of like telling stories that people hopefully haven't seen before, but enough interest that we believe there's a, a garnering of a nice audience out there to come see it. After a two-year, almost a two-year odyssey, the film got up on screen at the Bentonville Film Festival and uh, ended up winning two awards, not at the film festival, but at the Cannes 
Independent International Film Festival in Cannes, France, which is not the big Cannes <laughs> Film Festival, but it's still legit. Our screenwriter, director, Brooke Berman, won Best Film best film, Female Filmmaker of the Year uh, two weeks ago. And then the film also just won the Berlin Women's Film Festival Best Narrative Film of the Year. Wow. So there you go. Ramona at Midlife. It's at film festivals, but hopefully at some point it will be coming to a theater or a streaming service near you. Well, that's amazing. And I remember, <clears throat> Ivan, you telling me, because you were at the Bentonville Film Festival for the premiere. I was not able to make it, but uh, that's Gina Davis's film festival, if I'm not mistaken, and she introduced the film. Is that right? You know, it, we were absolutely flabbergasted. Uh, we had a little reception in the uh, lobby of the multiplex before the screening, and we, our film, uh, Ramona at Midlife, was the first film of the opening of the Bentonville Film Festival oh, wow. on June 14th. So we turn, I turned around, and into the door comes walking Gina Davis. I was absolutely blown away. Um, and Gina had decided to come to this to our screening because, the it, first of all, it's probably the opening film, number one. But number two, um, I've actually had a prior engagement and working relationship with Gina Davis from the movie, big documentary called This Changes Everything that was released in Toronto in 2018. We were just flabbergasted when we opened the film in the theater. Gina got up and oh, introduced the film to the audience. And we yeah. this is something she never she really rarely ever does. So and the, and it was sold out, right? The premiere sold out performance, wall to wall people. And most importantly, after the screening, uh, we actually had fans come up to us and who were people were in tears. I think there were several people wiping yeah, tears. Yeah. So this is a a, a, a a dramatic comedy that obviously resonated with some people in a very emotional way. Well, uh, Ivan, as somebody who can barely remember my middle age, I, uh, I enjoyed the film immensely. And uh, I, I'm, I'm super happy, as you'll see me say uh, from last year, uh, I'm super excited for my daughters to see it because I think it's just a great message for young women to take away. It's also funny. It's also fun. But without further ado, uh, viewers and listeners, the reason we wanted to do this little introduction is that when we recorded this a year ago at the Von Bar in United in New York City? Thanks, Von Bar in New York City. Whenever you're there, please stop by. Cheers. Uh, it's an amazing place. We we did as you as fans will recall, we did four episodes from there, uh, including our haunted history happy hour episode, which was super popular. And uh, this one uh, was filmed then and there, and we didn't get to release it till now because we wanted to wait until it was at least out in premiere. Now, as Ivan said, you cannot go see this movie now. But it will be in theaters or on streaming or both near you. And whenever that happens in the United States and then in the UK and then in Europe, we will announce it to you. And we might even do another little episode about it. But for now, I want you all to enjoy our special episode with an uh, original Alex Dean, Brian Cunningham story about Patti Smith, which was not only our first music history story ever, but was directly uh, inspired by the plot to Ramona at Midlife and enjoy our discussion with the team from Ramona at Midlife. Cheers. Cheers. It's our second live episode from the Vaughn Bar in the Bowery in New York City. And tonight, Alex, I think you'd have to admit this is a bit of a departure. Our viewers know, our listeners know, I'm a career drummer, you know, in one of my hats. But we don't talk that much about music history. And Not yet, enough. And yet, we did. Last Friday, we dropped our first music episode and it looks to me from the 
absence of anything in front of you that I'm going to be telling this story. No, I'm ready. All right, tell yeah, it. Yeah, tell it. I love an ad lib story. Are, we're, are, we have a mystery guest. We're not going to introduce her yet. Welcome. We love All having right. you here. Tell the story, Alex. All right. Uh, my story is about Patty Smith, the princess of punk, uh, who, um, as you know, of course, married Fred Sonic Smith. Uh, the joke being at the time she only married him so she wouldn't have to change her last name. <laughs> and uh, monograms. Deeply unfair. Uh, first year of their uh, wedding, Fred Smith says to his uh, wife, um, to celebrate our wedding, where would you like to go? Anywhere, anywhere in the world. And uh, she says, well, Sonic, I thought about it and I, I would like uh, you to take me to Saint-Jean-de-Maroni. Well, it's obvious, isn't it? In, in French Guiana. Uh, and because that's that's where the penal colony was. It's a tourist spot. Yeah, yeah. it's classic tourist spot. They just had a coup. Uh, <laughs> they just had a military coup, so it was obviously on the front of her mind. And the reason she chose it... This is 1981, yes? 1981. Yeah. She was a fan of a French poet and novelist called Jean Genette. And uh, Jeanette had had, uh, by his own telling, a misspent youth, and he'd uh, spent a number of years in a penal reformatory, and he'd fallen in love rather quixotically with the notion of being imprisoned on, on that island of French Guiana. And, Last uh, stop to Devil's Island, if I'm right. Correct. Yeah. And uh, I'm doing pretty well so far, thanks. Well, and uh, You say and, that. And uh, I, I do, and I, and I think my audience agrees. And um, so he wanted to be imprisoned there because he, he was uh, bad enough and naughty enough that he'd, he'd done enough wrong uh, in the course of, of his life. As he tells it in the Thief's Journal, he felt like he was, that was building up to the, the climax of his life, being sentenced to, to go uh, to prison in this, in this famous island. And uh, I instead, as uh, Paddy Smith uh, referred to him in her memoirs, he was a three-time loser because he failed even to do that. They closed the prison, and instead he had to spend his prison years in uh, prison in France. And so by the time uh, that she came to really have fallen in love with his, his writings in, in 81, he was very sick. He was in his 70s and he uh, all reckoned he was not long for this world. And he was not going to be, be able to make it to Guyana to see, um, to see the site of, of the prison, so, uh, which had been closed for a little while by then. So instead, Patty Smith goes on her um, one-year anniversary trip by aeroplane, long car ride, and then canoe uh, to get down river, piranha-infested uh, river, mm -hmm. uh, to get to the site of this um, this ruin of a former prison. Happy anniversary, baby. Happy anniversary, my love. Uh, and um, so she's going to take some souvenirs. To, if Jeanette couldn't come to the prison, she's going to take a bit of the prison to Jeanette, it's her thinking. And so she, they, as she tells it, they go through the ruins of the prison, through the solitary cells filled with the sad graffiti of long-forgotten prisoners, and finally comes into the main uh, kind of the main communal cell, which is enormous and dank, and there are still chains on the walls. And she starts digging in the dirt. This is, of course, when Fred Smith thought to himself, "Is this what I imagined I'd be doing <laughs> a year into having married Patty Smith?" Which I think the answer is probably. <laughs> and um, and she she digs into the dirt and she digs out three rocks worn smooth by the the feet of prisoners and prison guards and the details that I really like they still have some clods of earth on them and they've got an oversized gitan matchbox and they put the, these um, so, stones with earth on them in the box to take home 
on the way back, and I didn't tell this when I told the story online because it was a weird enough detail that it would have required a too big a digression. On the way back, they need to get to the... So they're at this hotel sanctioned for foreigners. They have, you know, it's only, you're only allowed to stay at one hotel. There are armed soldiers everywhere, military coup. On the way back, they hire a taxi to take them to the airport. They're pulled over, and she thinks they're going to shake down. Yes. They're trying to get us for some money or something. Uh, worst case, you know, he's got some contraband or drugs in the in the car or something, the soldiers go around to the back and they open the boot and there's a man in it. That's the this trunk, is, North Americans. Uh, uh, okay, they open the back of the car, the, the, the trunk, okay, fine. Open the trunk and a bloke jumps out that was in, in, in the car. That's a human being, American. Uh, least helpful heckler of all time. And I've done 20 episodes and counting with him. Uh, you get less time for fraud. Um, so this, this guy, goes, guy goes sprinting off, arrested, driver's arrested, never explained to Paddy Smith why he was in the boot and they never see the driver again. So it's a very dark kind of coda to the story. They spend several hours being interrogated as if they were kind of people smugglers. Uh, the people interrogating them had no English. They had a very exceptionally little batois in French. So it wasn't a very productive conversation. Uh, but clearly they were suspected of something before in the end it was too inconvenient to have the foreigners detained and they let them go. They come back. Artists are supremely unpredictable beings. Jean Genet lives for another five years and Patti Smith doesn't deliver the stones to him. Yeah, she goes to French Guiana. She she does never deliver. Goes through all of this, gets back home and and doesn't deliver them. But then many years later, she goes goes to uh, Morocco where uh, he's buried. She digs a very deep hole. She puts the stones in the ground next to uh, his grave. And so finally she delivered her uh, debt in the most romantic and eccentric and odd way. Uh, But I think that that is Patti Smith's start to finish. Yeah, it's 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 a crazy, amazing story. We're sitting here uh, in New York, uh, which was Patty Smith Central. I will be corrected by our wonderful host, Karen Vaughn, if I'm wrong. I believe CBGB was across the street. Yeah. And, you know, what we try to do on the podcast is we try to give you a different view on someone that you think you already know. And I will say as a drummer, like, I'm not the biggest fan of some of Patti Smith's music, but this says what she was, which is she dedicated herself, she, she's still alive, she dedicates herself to helping other people, to sometimes quixotic or quixotic uh, causes, and eventually she delivers. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we have Ramona Lee here, who has a very special connection to Patti Smith who we're going to hear about right now. Welcome, Ramona. Thank you so much. I mean, I wish I I aspire to live up to having the very special connection. I will say that it's a really private, personal connection. Um, But thank you. I like to think that I'm spiritually aligned with her. (laughs) She's, She's, yeah. And so what is it that you admire and aspire to about Patti Smith's life? Ooh, so much of it is summed up in this story, right? Like from such a young age, she f- she had a deep awareness of herself as an artistic being, whatever that meant, but she kept following, nurturing that little flame and protecting it and listening to it and embodying it and following it wherever it led her. Mm -hmm. So even summed up in that story, like, right, like what? To go find stones and bring them? 
Yeah, with piranha and like a body in the trunk. Dugout canoe. Yeah, yeah, I mean, all of it, right? But that... Um, and then not deliver them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I do, you want, I do you think it's because she feared that the person she'd never met wouldn't live up to the idea that she had in her mind of what the artist was? Do you think that was what it was? I think it easily could be. Wouldn't yeah. you love to know the inner workings? And it, similarly, maybe maybe we shouldn't, like actually asking her, maybe, maybe the mystery. The right. yes. But, you know, your previous guest in an earlier episode was um, Mike. And by the way, thank you for being such a big fan of our show that you've yeah. watched our earlier episodes. Of course. <laughs> no, Mike. Um, I'm sorry, I'm Mike not Cole. remembering his last name. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he was a military guy and a firefighter yeah. now and talking about how we um, we put our heroes, we build these statues, right? We mm -hmm. concretize somebody that we admire for a kind of narrative, yeah. but actually that's a sort of hardened, that's like a dead object, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe for, maybe, that's a wild guess, but like maybe for Patti Smith, this person she admires, she um, she's not wanting to, I don't know, tread across that line right. of like right. the the mortal person. She, yeah. Also, I wonder because she is so deeply intuitive. Maybe the stones and the experience, whatever she felt when she was digging them up, she actually didn't want to bring him that energy right. of, of whatever that was, and she kind of kept the. I don't know. I don't know if this is the right, but like the haunting or the whatever of that to herself instead yeah. of delivering it at the feet of somebody she aspired to. Just wild, wild guesses. Yeah. So the reason that we wanted to tell this story is to inspire young women like my two daughters to pursue their dreams, however quixotic they are and not stop uh, because they pursue other interests like a family, like Patti Smith moved back to Detroit with Sonic Smith and raised her kids, and she didn't give up, and she came back to New York, and she had a renaissance. And we want, I at least want, my daughters, Alex's future sons and daughters, to hear that story. And now I think, ladies and gentlemen, we will tell you the trick that you've all been subjected to in this episode. Um, our guest is actually actor Yvonne Woods. Congratulations. Ramona Lee is a fictional character in a film, and we wanted our listeners, our viewers, to get a sense of why this particular film with this particular character, with this particular subject, happened when it happened. And so now... We'd love to bring up Brooke Berman and Kristen Vaganos, the uh, writer, director, and the producer of Ramona at Midlife. Come on up, ladies. So what we want to do now is we want to hear about the film. We want to hear about the process. Oh, Yvonne, you didn't have to leave. <laughs> I, would, I would love to hear the actor's view of, of, of how the story was developed. But welcome... And, uh, and, uh, and Brooke, I guess first, talk about this film, why you decided to make it, why Patti Smith is important, why Alex is sitting in a cheap suit, which, by the way, is my favorite fucking thing about this episode. 
I, Thank you, I'm, so, I'm sorry I amused you by being polite. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most English of things, except Thank for you, an enthusiastic Alex. amateur. Brooke, talk about uh, Ramona and why she exists. Sure. Um, well, a couple of things. So Ramona exists because I was visiting Yvonne in 2014. I, was, I had recently left L.A., I've been a writer forever, and I lived out in LA for a decade, and then I left because I didn't want. Seems wanna, like a good call. Yeah, I didn't want to raise. I didn't want to raise my son there. I'd yes. had a, I had a child yes. at forty-one, and when he was about two, and I started looking at preschools, I sort of had this come to Jesus moment where I realized I just didn't want to live there anymore. Yeah, yeah. And I also I was in New York visiting some friends the week of Hurricane Sandy, and I thought, all right, all right, all right, if the world's going to fall apart, if we're really entering the <laughs> right. apocalypse. I think I'd rather run from floods than fires. <laughs> well, I think I would just rather do it in New York. Earthquakes, Indeed, you know. yeah. So, um, so I moved back here, and then I was back out in LA to pitch, and I went to meet Yvonne, who was living there um, in Culver City, and we walked around talking about life and art and being in our 40s and friends, and this character was kind of born. I feel like it was born that day we were walking around Culver City, and then there was this other movie that I was developing for six years. And that movie had a million-dollar budget. I had a Much super, like our podcast. Uh, much like your podcast. Yeah. Thank you, Ivan. I, had a, I did a fundraiser. I did a fundraiser here at Vaughn. Um, I had this super amazing, hot, shit EP. And sure. we always would have relied on movie star casting. It wasn't yeah. going to get done right. without a movie star. Yep. And all the agents at the big agencies read it and liked it and were sending it to their clients. And I just kept getting older. <laughs> as we do. <laughs> as, as we, we all do. do. Yeah. And then the pandemic happened. And everything ground to a halt. And my husband got laid off. And my son was home from school. And I had to learn how to use Zoom because I make my money as an yes. adjunct. And... I was invited into a writing workshop, and I sat down on day one in Joan Shekel's writing through the change, and the character of Ramona showed up, and she looked like Yvonne. <laughs> and I think I sent her a text and said, I think I'm writing you a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I wrote the whole thing during the early months of the pandemic when there was fucking nothing else to yes. do. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't go outside, and we were all afraid and my son was just home all the time doing school <laughs> online. <laughs> like and they so were. my husband yeah. and I split the days. He's also a writer. We split the days down the middle, 9 to 12. One person was with our son. 12 to 3, the other person with, was with our son. Right. 3 to 5, he could do fuck all on screens. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'd have dinner. And this movie just poured out of me. And it was stuff I'd wanted to talk about for years and it was always for Yvonne, who uh, I met in graduate school at Juilliard, and who was kind of amused. Oh, to by me. the way, you just dropped Juilliard in there. Am I Much allowed like to do I that? I drop in the White House, and Alex drops in Cambridge. Any chance you possibly can. It's like that old adage. It's true. You can always tell a Harvard man. Right. But, but they you say can't Cambridge. Tell him much. But, they can't, but they say Cambridge. They're like, when I was at school in Cambridge. Yeah. And you're like, this dude, right just fucking say Harvard. We know what it means. <laughs> they do that with New Haven, too. Yeah, they try to disguise <laughs> they it. They do. But just to be clear for so our... So that's where the movie on, came from. Yeah. Just, to be cure, just to be clear for our European viewers, Alex oh, is talking about uh, the actual Cambridge I'm in the UK. I'm not talking about anything. I'm just a guy sitting here. <laughs> so Proceed, that was where please. the movie came from. Yes. 
And in terms of Patti Smith, I had published a memoir in 2010, and it came out right around the same time as Just Kids. And you met her during I that. met yes. her uh, on my honeymoon. I got engaged in 2009, and then I just took a really long time planning a wedding. Like, I just didn't do it. I think, like, my mom had died, and I work in the theater, and I didn't want it to be this, like, big production. And I would watch Say Yes to the Dress, and it just kind of made me want to vomit. Like, I just didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So then I got pregnant, (laughs) and my husband said, you know, we really should get married. (laughs) And my then, like, 96-year-old grandmother said, just just go get married. It's okay. Mm -hmm. So, um... So one of my childhood friends was the general manager at the Chateau Marmont in uh, Hollywood. And as, and he hosted my book party when my book came out, I had a party at the Chateau and then he gave us a room for our honeymoon. And so we went to the Chateau for our honeymoon. Yeah. You know, we're a G rated show, right? Well, I was six months pregnant, so nothing happened. (laughs) I'm this big. I can't drink, and I don't feel sexy. So we're at the chateau. That's what I say every day, by the way. (laughs) So we're at the chateau, and I'm also an early riser. That's when I write. So it's the morning after I've gotten married. I wake up at the chateau. My husband's sleeping in. As I said, I'm six months pregnant, and I'm having all sorts of, like, crazy probably, you know, hormone-fueled doubts Mm -hmm. and drama. And I go downstairs to the cafe, and I sit down, and I order the banana bread French toast, which I'm told is amazing. Mm -hmm. And I'm writing in my journal and drinking my probably decaf because I'm so pregnant. And I look over, and next to me is a woman who's also writing in her journal and drinking her coffee and, like, fuck me, it's Patti Smith. (laughs) (laughs) So we sort of That's lean worth a hashtag, fuck me, it's Patty Smith. <laughs> so we sort of lean across the table and say, hi, excuse me, you're Patty Smith. <laughs> Which presumably she knew. Yes, I loved your book so much. Your book is in the case at the front desk, and so is mine. Patty Smith could not have cared less about oh, me. Oh, <laughs> oh. And I realized yeah, no, right, because I realized later that what I wanted from her was some kind of recognition yeah. as an artist or yeah. affirmation or I wanted her to tell me it was gonna be okay. Yeah. Because like I really didn't know like that I could be an artist and a mom at the same time. Yeah, as, as I, I struggle with that also. Sure, right? Yeah. And your kids are grown up. Artists How'd it go? And a mom, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and then I started learning more about her. And, you know, I'm, my whole family's from Detroit. So when I realized she'd been in St. Clair Shores all those years, yeah. I was like, what? So, like, I could have met her? Like, I could have seen her at the grocery store? Like, what? And then I had all these questions because my life very quickly became, I'm really devoted to my child, Mm -hmm. and it was important to me, I think because I had a child later in life and I knew I was only going to have one and my mom had died. Like, I just wanted to do it right. Yeah. So my life very quickly became about PTA meetings and fucking readathon and bake sales and field trips and, like, showing up like i just wanted to show up yeah. i wanted my son to know i was in his life and i wondered about patty smith on st Clair shores like 
Did she go to the bake sale? Did she go to curriculum night? Because I went to curriculum night every year. Oh, of did she go to parent teacher? It never teacher? changes, by the way. You just keep going, and it's always the same. No, exactly. But you yeah. need the teacher to know that you're like on their side right. in case drama and goes also down. Also, looking a little bit over their shoulder too, right? Like. Totally. Exactly. Or also for my kid, like my son's gonna give you a hard time, but like we're on it. Like <laughs> yeah. you can call me. He's a great kid. You're gonna like him. I would like volunteer first up. I learned very quickly I couldn't do PTA because it made me crazy, yeah. but I could do school right. leadership team because I have a lot of capacity for curriculum, but mm-hmm. not so much for fundraising yep. and like who's sure. gonna be the vendor for the school pictures. I don't care. Um, so yeah, I wanted to know if she did all that stuff. And because she stayed home, and she's so private, which I respect, and she's so, the way how she talks about those years in St. Clair Shore is like, she says she saved herself as an artist. It's what she said to Rolling Stone. Yeah, because. I saved yeah. myself as an artist. And when she came back to New York, she she has gray hair. I mean, look at her. She's yeah. she's not afraid to age. She's not afraid. She identifies as a poet. I think that's so beautiful. <clears throat> so I think she offers, certainly a woman at midlife, some real inspiration yeah. about how to do it in the next chapter. This is my favorite five minutes of the entire series of our podcast for two reasons. One, I gravitated to your film. Because I want my daughters, who are artists, to understand this lesson. And two, Alex has been off mic for like six minutes. He hasn't been able to say anything. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to flip my mic over to Alex. But first, I'm going to ask Kristen, the producer of the film, to talk about your perspective on Patti Smith. Hey, yeah. Thanks for the handoff. Um, well, I don't. It's it's interesting hearing Brooke speak about what Patty means for her because. I think it's a time that seems gone of this disappearing, mm. of this um, going off and living your private life. It feels impossible now. Right, is there a private life? Yeah, yeah it, there is no such thing seemingly to younger generations now, and, and there's such an emphasis on the public life and the presentational life yeah. that it feels like we're so disconnected from just doing what we want to do. Like I feel every night I'm debating what I should do to network or what I should do to eat healthy, live healthy. You know, there's all this stuff and it's like where I I admire the guts to just go be and do what it is. Yeah. 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 And as our viewers will know, I spend no time on eating right. And by the way, we don't know what she was like in her twenties at the Chelsea hotel. And she was certainly like up in a scene. Right. Right. Yeah. Not doing everything correctly by all Mm. means. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, it's been a really cathartic experience for me to work on this film with Brooke. I mean, we've talked so many times about exactly what you're saying with your daughters that like one of the reasons I was so drawn to the film and to the partnership between us is that like, it really sets this precedent that you don't have to, you know, complete all the things you want to do by a certain time, that you don't run out of time, that you don't run out of relevancy, that you don't run out of something worth saying, like that as a woman and as a person, you can grow into different phases of life. And it it really is in that notion of doing it right, because I'm a perfectionist and I'm a type A person. And so there is this constant trying to break down of (laughs) of what it is to do it right, to do life right. Yeah. Yeah. And and 
who are past generations to dictate that to you, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've had uh, lots of historical references on our podcast that that's what we do. But at some point, you might have to make your own path, right? Mm -hmm. And Patty Smith, my understanding of her is she's looking at, you know, punk rock. She's looking at slam poetry. Men are not going to just voluntarily let her into that world. Mm -hmm. So she just creates her own path. She goes around mm -hmm. and she creates these live shows that are kind of unprecedented, I think, in the 70s of, you know, poetry plus rock music plus punk rock music plus telling stories. And so she just said, fuck it. I'm going to do my own thing, right? Yeah. Hell yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, uh, Alex Dean, very conspicuously silent, largely because I have the mic. Um, <laughs> But Alex has a far broader sweep of history than I do, so I'm, now I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, is there something history can teach us about Patti Smith and her experience? Oh, um, I think many great artists have periods of um, retreat, mm. have periods of, of um, removing themselves from public life, from courts if they were sponsored by... Um, Somebody of the, of the day, and um, I, I think I'm a huge Leonard Cohen fan. And Cohen had his time on on Hedra. Cheers, uh, <laughs> I'm in the right place to say it, of course. Yeah, and uh, Cohen had his time in, in Greece on on Hedra that um, was a, was a withdrawal for him. The difference is that he would measure that time in months. Patty Smith withdrew to Detroit for 15 years. And, you know, this is not some kind of gesture for the Instagram generation that right. she did for a couple of months before releasing her show notes and putting right. her story on Netflix. This was, you know, well, she... like we would do. Right, like, exactly, like, like uh, the Hidden History Happy Hour. She, she took that time, 15 years, to, to spend with her family and to bring up children that she loved and to spend time uh, in, in that environment. And, and um, my understanding of America, as imperfect as it may be, is that suburban Detroit might not be the most obviously glamorous of locations in which to, to undertake such that a thing. That might be the largest um, understatement you've made on the podcast. Possibly. And I, 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 I suppose I simply mean that she meant it. That it wasn't uh, it wasn't some gem gesture or demonstration. That it was it was really true. And, and many artists have that time out of the limelight. The, I, I think the two great things about it are, it, it of course makes you wonder what it was like in that time, withdrawn from pub the public eye. Mm. And secondly, that she so conspicuously successfully pulled off a comeback almost you know dusted off dusted off the lyrics and as i was saying before you know almost picked up mid-sentence yeah. uh, with a 15-year gap in, in between and that's for me that's the sign of a great artist yeah like top gun maverick <laughs> <laughs> that was only yeah <laughs> brooke uh yvonne uh Kristen, it's been amazing to have you guys here Thank what you. what should you you've seen the sweep of history that we talk about you've read alex's great book lessons from history available on amazon uh what do you want women in 20 years to take away from ramona at midlife oh that's a really good question yeah well that's what i do i think that it's not over i mean like Kristen was saying there's no age by which you have to do something. Yep. It's just not over. I mean, 
I will confess there are a couple of super cheesy earlier drafts of the script that no longer exist where <laughs> Ramona used to quote Whitman who says I contain multitudes but it's really what is important to me this idea that we contain multitudes and there's a whole lot of time with which to unpack them I can't wait for my daughters to see this film thanks everybody cheers. hidden history happy hour cheers, cheers. good night so there you have it, Hidden History Happy Hour viewers and listeners, our special Hollywood edition of the Hidden History Happy Hour featuring the film Ramona at Midlife and with a little featurette, including our intrepid executive producer and executive producer of Ramona at Midlife, Ivan Williams. Ivan, thank you. Cheers. Thanks thank to you, the Brian. Bon Bar in New York City. Thanks to Brooke, Kristen, and Yvonne for being on the show. And we will let you know when the movie is coming to a theater near you. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments, or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Core, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers.